Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my math-loving life partner, Scott Daly. I love math. That's, that's the only joke I could come <laughs> up with, Matt. That's all. That's good. No, it's Look, good. Look, we don't don't always roll strikes okay yeah not every not every episode is going to be a slam dunk y'all it, it goes uphill from here though <laughs> more sports metaphors uh, as you said this is the podcast where you and i eagerly dive into wild Bo's world of speedster treachery multi-dimensional politics and alien based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial this week on part six of arc five shadow we discuss chapters 5.12 and what turns out to be the first of two interludes to end the arc 5.x. Uh, it means we're, we're finally here, man. We're one chapter away from the end of the longest arc I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Wrapping it up. Um, th- this is, this is some cool stuff. We get sort of a, uh, what I'm pretty sure is the climax to the arc. And, and then we get a cool interlude of the variety where you're sort of getting the, what's going on in the background world building, you know, table setting for the end game, presumably type of chapter where things are hinted at, characters are established, motives are explored, and uh, we're just we're ready to get into it. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because it comes at the end of um, this chapter and this this arc that is very, I guess, street level is kind of the word. Yeah, um, because we're 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 dealing with Victoria and the Misfit Toys and and their ongoing struggle and how they've kind of got swept up into this larger conflict but this the the interlude shows us that this larger conflict is actually tiny compared to, to the larger conflict that is uh looming over everything that's true in fact the pov character goes out of her way to think how unconcerned she is with the outcome of this war that's being fought yep Yep, this thing that is like life or death choices for our main character and for all their her close friends um, is nothing to these other people. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's move on into the announcements, Scott. Okay. So voting uh, is now open on uh, to the patrons for the third quarterly fan art contest. There are eight entries, and let me tell you guys, they're all amazing. If you're a patron. Head over to our Patreon page and vote now. If you're not a Patreon, <clears throat> patreon.com slash Films. Right. <clears throat> Very subtle. Yes. Voting closes next Monday and the winner will be announced next Wednesday when the episode drops. Yeah, we will show the winner and all the entries at the same time. Um, man, Matt. Like I was impressed as the the as these entries came in on Wednesday, but once I built the post and you saw them all like lined up one after the other, it's incredible the quality of art we got submitted this time around. I mean, it's always been good, but we got more entries than we ever had before on this one, and they were all all excellent. Yeah, there's and they were all different. Um, two people even did the same like scene idea but they both interpreted it a little differently and their their art style makes them very unique it's it was so great i can't wait for everyone to see it yeah there's some amazing artists in this community and and like you said i love how people bring their different sort of ideas to it you know above and beyond just the technical talent 
it's the creativity of the concepts is always really fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, I think we've always tried to be as vague as possible with our, uh, our prompt Mm -hmm. for them to, to kind of see what, what, what people's interpretation of that is and what their, their creativity comes to. Like I think Lon Sheep won last time and their interpretation was a a ball pit therapy session, which was just brilliant. And we had some, some ideas like that this time around too, where, some very very awesome interpretations of of misfit toys as we called it um yeah it's great i love i love these contests i love that people are are engaged with them and have a good time and i saw the on the discord how how difficult a decision everyone was having in deciding which one they want to vote for which thank god we don't have to do that yeah i know just we just sit back and watch and watch the patrons vote yeah and we will be sharing all of these um with the with everyone eventually right yeah 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 that'll yeah be but what, when it's all what's done. gonna happen is the the episode um that comes out next week next wednesday about the exact time the episode drops the a post will go up on dailyplanetfilms.com which has um all of the entries it has the winner and then all of the other entries and um and we'll we'll link that in the show notes and on reddit and everywhere so cool all right Um, all right moving on into the community spotlight where we read what people wrote from last week's reddit thread and the discussion question was how should ashley be punished for the murder of bob if she should at all why um so yeah uh there were a lot of great responses as usual many of you responded to this question with a variation of you know i don't know if punish is the right word for what should happen to ashley and I think you're you're right. We could have phrased the question a bit better. Um, I admit, I I sort of chose the word punish so that people would maybe push back on it and say this is what should happen to Ashley. I don't think she should be punished. Um, it might have been more better to have a more neutral phrasing and just say what should the consequences be. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, 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 a lot a lot of you kind of basically arrived at that same point anyway. So yeah, yeah, we got a lot of people really diving into what what is what is what does punishment mean and how does Ashley's uh situation fit into what differing definitions of the word punishment is. Yeah. So first from Marcus. Marcus goes over the various uses of punishment, including incapacitation, meaning make it so the person can't hurt people anymore. Deterrence, make it so people don't want to do the same thing. Retribution, just feel better about it, I guess. Uh and education. Uh, Marcus then suggests giving Ashley an ultimatum. She can either be a hero or she can be treated as fair game and basically have the amnesty revoked. You know, so basically if she tries to be a villain again, um, she is not going to be treated with kid gloves. And I think that's a, that's a cool perspective. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think this, one of the things we saw echoed a lot throughout these answers is the, the danger of over punishing does nothing to address the underlying issues that Ashley has. Um, and the, the, the conflict between the societal reasons to, to give someone consequences, of their actions and the personal. Um, and this seems like one of the most fair things you can do. Be like, look, um, you've lost some privileges now because you did this thing. And we can't, we, we refuse to let you operate as a Cape unless you're operating within our uh like calling it like the hero 
side of things is maybe too not specific but maybe too like almost unfocused like maybe like she needs to be a member of a a team that is supported by whatever legal system ends up being on this this group she cannot she's not allowed to operate as a cape outside of uh established legal force reminds me a lot of shadow stalker actually because yeah she i think did kill someone actually and was basically made uh, a member of the wards like on some kind of probationary level where um she you know she does basically screw up although it's actually regent who screws up for her uh and then she you know that's it that that's breaking her second strike but her first strike was killing somebody and then basically saying all right look you can either be a ward and we keep an eye on you or um you know birdcage i guess i don't know um yeah so that's it's similar and there's precedent for that kind of reaction i think yeah of course i don't i don't think it it went too well with shadow stalker um it's true it's true <laughs> and i think that's just i think the, the issue is the system kind of shadow stalker was more done like in in a way where we can't afford to lose this person in in the fight i mm-hmm. guess like that that's what so many decisions in worm were made because we need them in the fight in in the future in future conflicts yeah um and i wonder if that system i mean like we're gonna see later in this this episode that people are collecting capes and something big is gonna go down sometime in the future but um, i wonder if that that kind of pressure is still felt yeah and it seems like the humans that we're gonna see in this chapter are, are also not really super happy about extending a whole lot of leniency to capes anymore yeah not that they have any any control over that right right all right moving on uh, vegeta uh covers a lot of ground in their answer i'm going to pick out one thing they bring up though um the fact that gimel's justice system is so fledgling that we don't know if we can trust it to be fair or proportionate in the punishments that it dishes out and, and we don't really know what kinds of punishments are going to be encoded in it um so this is a kind of a different uh, approach to the to the question of saying like what's you know what punishments are actually even going to be on the table we don't know we don't really understand because it, in earth bet it was basically like the united states justice system with cape stuff kind of shoved into it we we have no idea what to even expect here and i think that's worth pointing out yeah and that's interesting too because i mean what we know so little of what the law on gimel says right now um is there any specific like is there a law on the books of Earth Gimel that said murder is a crime? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's normally like a, a societal law that right. doesn't have to be written down generally, but like if you wanna if you wanna try to argue that we're gonna throw the book at Ashley, what does the book say? Yeah. I don't know. I I mean that I think it's really yeah. interesting that we don't know. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. So moving on to Perditorian, uh, just the the quote, Bob deserves a Darwin Award, I think is, <laughs> is great. And I had to, had to pull that out. Yeah, um, I think I'll piss off this psychopath. Yeah. So Perditorian points out that there were extenuating circumstances surrounding uh, what Ashley did. And, and of course, um, we pointed out during the episode last week that there's a lot of chaff in the air um that could make the circumstances look even more extenuating than they were uh but ashley did 
push the guy so she's not completely, you know, without culpability. Um, and Predatorium further basically concludes that Ashley should suffer some criminal penalty, but not a murder charge. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's a cool perspective because that, that's not something I had considered. I was basically thinking like either she either she's going to be convicted, you know, tried and convicted of murder or she's going to be like given a special exemption for circumstances. But I do think this is interesting that like, oh, she should actually be charged, but she should be charged with like manslaughter or something like that. That's that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, my favorite part of this comment was. I also think that the misfit toys need to seriously reconsider how they gather intelligence. This is Taylor level, poorly thought out <laughs> undercover work, which was great. Yeah. I think we, we were too tongue in cheek when we said that last time, but yeah, like her going in, in, into the hollow point villains is worked out probably even worse for her than Taylor going in among the undersiders yeah. um, and pretending that she was going to be able to maintain her objectivity. It doesn't work that and- way. And and someone said in the thread, and again, this is something that I just remembered offhand and didn't write down beforehand, so I don't get to credit them with it, but um, <laughs> someone mentioned that this is probably what Byron was thinking of when he said the idea of putting these people together to do this thing is a bad idea generally, and people are going to get hurt because as much as these guys want to support each other and help each other... Um, they also have blind spots for each other and like nobody in this group, not even, not even Victoria stopped at any point during this thing and went, Hey, maybe giving Ashley this assignment is not the best thing for her or us or her boss. Yeah. <laughs> that she just blew a hole into. Yeah. Um, and, and that is true that they seem to have certain blind spots when it comes to each other that um, they're so, they're so concerned with supporting and and being that team that they can't see stuff that other people can. It's nice of Byron not to just immediately jump in and say, I told you so. But uh, yeah, yeah, it does yeah. seem like he was right. Yeah. Okay, from Joe Stege. Uh, uh, they say, legally, she's committed a crime and must be punished. Socially, she must be punished if capes are to be seen to be remotely accountable for their actions. The best punishment would be some kind of house arrest while under guard. It gets her out of the public eye, isn't overly overly harsh. Uh, but this poster further argues the main problem with this is that there's no way Ashley would actually submit herself to something like this and actually containing her is impossible. Yeah, but, at least without some sort of birdcage-like thing. Yeah, I do wonder if, if, you, if the duration were relatively short, if she would be willing to submit herself to it. Because like, there's the part of her that really wants to be better, and then there's the part of her that goes crazy and and does things like this. So I think part of her might try to submit herself to it. I think there's a good point that maybe even with her best intentions, she would find herself, you know, trying to break out. Yeah. And, and I wonder, like, I think it's going to be very interesting. What state she's going to be in next time we see her. Um, she, She went through this horrible thing and she was kind of, um, like posturing as if she was fine with it and this is just the way it is now and and ev- I, what I did was fine but she was at least aware enough to 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 know that she needed to remove herself from the equation like her leaving this the scene her leaving both the toys yes but also leaving uh the hollow point people was at least an acknowledgement that on some level she realized that 
oh, maybe I just fucked up. Yeah. So seeing where she is psychologically next time we pick up with her, I think it's going to be very interesting. Is she is she in a place where she's found a way to justify what happened and she's made herself okay with it? Or is she in a, a, a possibly even more vulnerable place where she's like, what am I? Um, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of that will determine what the appropriate consequences are. Um, yeah. That, that, that state of mind she's in. Yeah, how, how to best deal with her. Yeah, I think you're right. right. Megafire gives three reasons why society enacts punishment, which is kind of like what we discussed at the top of the, uh, of the discussion. To tell the mm-hmm. criminal what they did was wrong, to, to tell society what the criminal did was wrong, and to protect the innocent from the criminal. Ashley appears to know on some level that what she did was wrong. Letting her go with a slap on the wrist will set a dangerous precedent, but making an example of her is a pretty crappy thing to do, not to mention disastrous for her mental health. Um, Megafire then says the real solution is the third of those three objectives, protecting society from Ashley. Monitor her more closely and don't let her do the cape thing for a little while. Um, Yeah, I mean... The only problem I, I do like that. The only problem I see there is like, I don't know if you can stop her. It's kind of like putting her in house yeah. arrest where, yeah, it would be really nice if you could do that. And I suppose it's conceivable, but she's, you know, she's one of these edge cases where she's like a shard with a person growing around it. So I think it's hard to imagine her just not doing Cape stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the shard, factor makes that so complicated i mean like if if we extend our metaphor of of powers as trauma then telling someone don't use your powers for a while is basically tantamount to don't have ptsd for a while yeah and interesting yeah so like it's it's like it's very easy to say okay well clearly you can't the warden's can't allow you to operate as a cape anymore like they they you just you've lost that privilege you there the amnesty was there you had there there's a certain level of trust in you and you have betrayed that trust by going uh too far um but okay then what's what 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 what's the option to that like you've gone too far you must be punished um what what can you do what can like what can you do i like that that's that's i think that's why this was deceptively a very difficult question to actually answer because I don't I don't know how how you can stop a person from being who they are, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what's funny is like reading through all these answers I found myself just kind of like agreeing with whatever the last person said um which which <laughs> kind of tells me how like uncertain I am and and like I don't really have a strong feeling about this because it's a very st- weird weird area um for for all kinds of reasons for all, all these reasons that everyone's pointing out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So next poster, highly questionable, says the most appropriate punishment will be the social punishment that she receives from the misfit toys and the hollow point capes. Um, that's like, I like that answer a lot because it's very like real politique where it's like, yeah, I mean, we're living in this post apocalypse basically. So pragmatically speaking, the justice that you're going to get for doing a bad thing is the justice you get from your peers. Like, like, especially because there's practically speaking no justice system. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also like, yeah, you, you, you can actually kind of trust them to give her an appropriate punishment. Like, 
the the hollow point case like bob if bob were more well loved maybe people would try to kill ashley in you know to get revenge but because of the circumstances of it and because nobody really liked him that much um i feel like even the hollow point capes who worked for him aren't going to be unfair to ashley and the misfit toys are only going to like they want the best for her fundamentally and they want to protect right. people from her so like you can almost just say you know i really actually trust this this group of her peers to kind of be the jury and, and come up with what the punishment should be yeah and i think one of the things we kind of undersold when we were discussing this last week was um how how close and important the relationship between ashley and kenzie is and how how kenzie will take this news and what that will do to ashley what kenzie's reaction will do to ashley and that i mean that could be enough on its own depending on how how hurt kenzie is by this yeah Um, we don't we don't know what her reaction is going to be but it seems that it's not going to be great and the rest of the team seems to know that as well there's a moment where when, when Victoria tells Rain what Ashley did in this chapter. She's like, I needed to tell you because we're going to have to discuss how we break this news to Kenzie. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the big, the big kind of deciding thing for, for how Ashley mentally handles this whole incident is what Kenzie's reaction to is it. Yeah. Because while, you know, Ashley is important to Kenzie, Kenzie's like admiration of Ashley is important to Ashley. And yeah, yeah. So that, I, I can't wait for that scene. Hopefully, we get that. Okay. Next commenter, Budagami, suggests that they install a switch, perhaps in Ashley's prosthetic, which trusted allies can use to zap Ashley unconscious if needed. So basically, if a situation like this were to arise, then you know Victoria or Tristan or whoever's around could just kind of put her out of commission. Um, basically to protect the people around her, which um, I, I definitely give this points for creativity. I don't think I would have <laughs> ever thought of this. No, uh, me neither. Like, like I definitely can imagine people just having objections to its practicality and it's like, okay, well, what if no one's like literally watching her when she has a breakdown or whatever? Um, I mean, it's not a bad idea. It, it might be, you might have to add some other, it, you know, this might be like one thing in addition to other steps you take. Uh, yeah it's a cool idea though yeah i like they they added some different details about how it could have contingencies for an out um so she doesn't feel too trapped and it would it would basically be look ashley if you want to if you want to continue with these things you need to trust us to be able to recognize something that you can't which is when you're getting too worked up and it would be good for ashley to develop or, or get to a place where she can trust people that much because she doesn't seem to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Seven Hawk Seven Seven says that Ashley needs to be institutionalized until she's not a danger to others anymore. Um, this is definitely on the more like um, harsh side of things, which is fine. I, I'm glad we got a range of yeah. answers. I mean, one one interesting thing is that like no one actually suggested she needs to go to prison for a long, long time. Like. That yeah. I guess because that's just kind of a boring answer, um, but well, it just doesn't it doesn't serve it doesn't serve any purpose doesn't serve any I mean, purpose. I mean, it's what would probably happen in real life, but it doesn't serve any yeah, purpose. Well. Um, 
um, yeah, like being institutionalized. I mean, that that's very interesting. It very much speaks to kind of what this story is about too, because you have all these, all these characters, many of whom have spent a lot of time in institutions for various reasons. And maybe the solution here is that Ashley needs to go back into an institution until she's got herself under control enough that there's no real risk of her blowing somebody away. Um, um, I guess that depends. I'm not I'm not really agreeing or disagreeing. I guess I'm just saying, I guess that depends on, uh, do we think that any amount of institutionalization would actually help Ashley or, or does she actually need to get in the world and learn how to be a cape uh, and control herself? Yeah, because I think that is, I, I don't know if a situation would present itself to test in a controlled situation in an institution would test her ability to get grips on herself, you know? So, um, how could you know? How could you know when she's at a place where she's stable enough? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the truth is that, that like someone in her circumstance should just not be doing like field work, violent combat stuff. Yeah. But, in the world of parahumans that that option is just sort of not on the table so yep <laughs> yeah. yeah and then finally zykri says the punishment should be shared by the group because it was their shared poor judgment that led to this ashley should be placed within the group and the group's punishment is that they need to rehabilitate her uh, <laughs> i think i think that's that's very um i i like that because I, I i actually agree like we we talked before about how the poor decision making that that kind of led to this moment was not only was it not just Ashley, but, but you almost have to ask, was it even more like, I don't know, whoever decided to put her undercover with villains. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like they, they, they deserve to be the ones who have to deal with this and, and solve the problem they created. Yeah. I I think I like that a lot too, because I, I definitely think, there is some level of responsibility for the team as a whole here. Yeah. Um, for getting into this situation. Um, it's a bad plan, Matt. Yeah. It's a bad plan. Real bad plan. Yeah. And then, so that was all the discussion question responses moving on. Great, great, great answers guys. Yeah. We we appreciate that as always moving on to general community stuff. Uh, it's wild Bo's birthday. Happy birthday. Wild Bo. Yay. Yay! I mean, by the time everyone's listening to this, it won't it won't be. But, but that doesn't it is right now. It is right for now. An hour and forty five minutes still. Yeah. Yay! At least where you are, Matt, uh, sing. Uh, uh, <laughs> was that your Was that your singing? Like you did it in kind of a tone there. <laughs> All right, that was my song. Moving it's on. Beautiful. Um, email question from Liz. So Liz says, way back in the beginning of We've Got Worms, Scott was concerned about how the nature of cauldron capes impact the story. Scott pointed out that one of the main ideas of the work was powers as a metaphor for trauma. If I recall, Scott wasn't sure how the store-bought powers fit into that metaphor. You might have touched on it briefly before, but I wonder what your thoughts are now that you've finished Worm. This may be relevant with Arc Five, uh, uh, with the Arc Five interlude. I find it interesting that cauldron people like Citrine, Alexandria, and Dr. Mother seem to think that cauldron powers buck the trend of trauma begets trauma that normal cape triggers have due to their conflict drive. 
Yeah, and I wanted to bring this up, Matt. Uh, I wanted to include this one because I think it does perfectly tie into some of the stuff we're going to be talking about in Arc 5. Um, and, and how much we completely buy this idea that um, just because you're a cauldron cape, you've escaped the conflict drive that exists within parahumans. Um, and, and how much I... Like, I guess we'll get into this a little bit down there, but... Um, I guess to answer your question, um, I think we've seen that that I thought I think we've seen at the end of Worm that Cauldron I think perfectly fit into the metaphor because it was kind of like so with a non Cauldron cape, the trauma created the power. Um, with a Cauldron cape, the reason why they get to a point where they want the power usually stems from some sort of trauma, right? Like the, right. the desire to grasp for power is usually. Um, rooted in some sort of uh, terrible thing that's happened to you that that makes you want that. Yeah, and, um, and I think. Sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to say the, the the power also has a tendency to kind of take on that like ironic form of making whatever their problem was into a permanent situation. Um, like I'm thinking about like like triumph. Kind of seems like triumph just lucked out because like he had a rich dad his rich dad wanted him to be more successful got him powers and like the powers ruined his ability to do the thing that he wanted to do mm-hmm. and are like a permanent reminder of that now so yep um so yeah like it's still and it still kind of messes him up continuously right and and so and yeah like all the other cauldron caves we've seen they're they're all messed up people it's just, it's just a different, you know, I, I bet you could be even more specific about it and be like, yeah, um, natural triggers have more like sh- perhaps intense short-term traumas, but cauldron capes have more like slow burning, just kind of life grinding issues that, that make them turn to this, this opportunity. And those are just different kinds of, of problems, those yeah. but one of, it's not that they don't have problems. Yeah, and I think we're going to get into that with uh, with our our old friends later in this uh, this episode. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's get into it, Scott. All right, let's do it. Chapter, Chapter 5, dot 12. 12. Damn, 12. 12. Never thought I'd say that. Yeah. So last time, if you recall, Victoria's Misfit Toys joined up with Rain and March's group facing down the core group of Fallen crowd of fallen hostages writhe in terror under the influence of mama's power so one of the things i wanted to start talking about here this week i think is we talk about i think you and i throughout the course of this podcast have talked about the ending sentences and the ending paragraphs of chapters and arcs and the end of this whole book uh as things we loved and we've talked about how good wild bow is at ending things um i don't think we've given enough credit to how the story starts things, um, the, the opening paragraphs, how, how things get kicked off. And I thought this was a really great example of, of, uh, a very clever way and kind of beautiful way in which this chapter opens because the, the, the opening sentence really, it's just one sentence is against a backdrop, a backdrop of screaming and writhing with clouds rolling across the overcast sky and both dust clouds and smoke rolling over the ground. The three assembled groups were very still and careful. And there's such like a perfect little way of of setting the stage for the the events of this chapter, right? We 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 were defining our atmosphere, the clouds are rolling in, and that kind of sets up 
Um, the introduction of the storm that's going to happen later in the arc, which is Rain himself is literally entering the conflict for the first time. Uh, the dust and smoke rolling across the ground is like a symbol of the battle that's already taken place at that time. The people writhing on the ground is our ticking clock because we have to solve this problem before before they get permanently damaged. And at the center of all this, we have these three groups assembled, like staring at each other, waiting and in one sentence, the stage is completely set. We have we have great image of everything that's going on, what the stakes are in this specific focus conflict, who the players are, and uh, then we can go. And it's one sentence. Just one sentence. Yeah, I feel like we're going to be talking about this over and over again. But there's so much complexity in terms of all of the different groups of people and all of their different agendas in these chapter in, in this chapter specifically and it's of course it's all been building toward this and it feels like this whole arc has been a process of setting up the chess pieces and there's just so many chess pieces that that, that it took 12 chapters plus a handful of interludes yeah. for us to come to a full comprehensive understanding of all these groups and and all their loyalties and that's just like such fun storytelling and it's so awesome to have got to this point yeah it's like they're playing chess against each other, but also the people that are on your team might be playing a different game. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's so complicated. And, and you're right that like, I think there's a reason why this arc was as long as it was because it, it had to set all this thing up and it, ha- it had to move us slowly and deliberately through this conflict as it, as it flares out to where it's going to be by the end of this chapter. And and we needed to take our time without to fully understand every person has a different motivation. Every person has a different goal. Um, even the ones that are working together for the time being have different goals from each other. And and it creates a mess. Yep. Almost like it's some kind of powder keg situation. It's not <laughs> going to end well for anyone. Yep. Yeah. So, so specifically in this situation, we see that it's clear that Rain's group is immune to Veil 4 and to Mama. Rain is being a lot more talkative now, having this immunity. There's a bit of necessary catch-up between Rain and his teammates, who also fill us in on what he's been up to. He explains how he couldn't betray the Fallen before before now because of Mama's power, and uh, then a bit later he explains how this is because they've swapped out their eyes and ears with other people who are back at home sedated, um, which has really interesting powers... Uh, interesting implications regarding how the master powers work. Yeah, and it's just totally horrifying. Yep. I'm going to borrow your eyes for a bit. So, like, are these, are these just civilians? I guess and, so. And are they doing this willingly? Are they paying them? I hope they're paying them some money to do that. So, Please know, go to sleep. I'm just going to use your eyes for a little bit. You won't, you won't even need them. Yeah. It's fine. You don't think March just, like, snagged some people and... I mean, I do. <laughs> we we learn a lot about March yeah. in this chapter, and it's not very good. Yeah, um, it's interesting because, like, I, I am the type of reader where that that information that that level of detail is not something that's necessary for me. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's enough for me to say, "Oh, there's a there's a power that that there's this cape power that makes them immune to this stuff." Okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, but but the, there's the story has a lot of detail and and the story goes into that detail um 
to and I recognize that I'm in probably the minority about that, that I don't need that, that that's not what I need from the story. But uh, some people are and, and the story is willing to give that to them. We're not just going to say, oh, there's power. Um, we're going to explain what the power is and kind of how it works. And that's good, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and often those kinds of things serve as introductions to characters who we're going to find out about later, like these twins. I, I'm, I'm sure this isn't the last we're going to hear of them. Right. And, and, and like a lot of other things, the details serve to pay off in different things later. So in this moment, I do not need the detail on eyes and ears swapping to to buy into the idea that, OK, they're immune right now because they are. But knowing Wildbo, he could pay that that information that he dropped to us that seems like it's just filler information for explaining why this is happening now as some way to pay off something interesting later. Um, yeah. We don't know, but, but that's kind of, it's kind of what he does. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do like that. You, you mentioned that rain is being a little bit more assertive and a little bit more like in, in command of himself. And there's this wonderful moment that I think plays that out here is where, where March is kind of explaining that while Rain is with her, I'm not poaching him. He'll help me out in exchange for this here, but he can stick with you guys. And Rain says, with the heroes here, not the fallen. And March is like, oh, yeah, I should have been clear. And look, that's like, it's pretty obvious who who March is talking to. Like, they're standing toe to toe with veil four in the fallen he's not going to be like don't worry fallen i'm going to give him back to you it, it's it's pretty clear he's talking that that march is talking to victoria here rain is kind of um emphasizing this and making this clear not because i think he was worried that anybody was actually c- confused about who she was talking to at the time but because he wants to make clear here the decision he's made um, we last saw him, he had rejected the Fallen and, and rejected Aaron and ran to March, and that's got its whole bunch of other problems that we're going to get to. But um, this is him making clear to his team, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. And it's like he goes above and beyond to provide that clarity in a place where it doesn't need it to, to emphasize, I want it understood 100%, I am with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I read that too. I also suspected that maybe he he wasn't sure if his team would would actually you know trust him at this point, and yeah. and he's trying to be like you know because from their point of view they haven't seen him in a while. He just kind of disappeared, and he's like, all right, now I can explain everything. I'm mm-hmm. I'm really I'm really on your side, guys. Just yeah. let me let me repeat myself at every opportunity. I'm with you guys. Um, but yeah, it's kind of charming actually yeah hang on i just gotta kill, kill foil real quick yeah yeah <laughs> yeah just uh you're gonna help me right yeah um so tristan and byron keep swapping places apparently as a means of cutting off fail force effects and they're like finishing each other's sentences and stuff which yeah. is really cool yeah yeah that was, it's, it's badass imagery i agree yeah so while this is all happening victoria is hunting for mama um, this is pretty much where her attention is mostly, although she does spare a moment to think about how she kind of recognizes March, but kind of doesn't. Yeah, that's a little interesting little breadcrumb for us there. Um, yeah. Don't know where that's going, but I, I like I like this idea that Victoria sets her sights on Mama like almost instantly here. 
and it, and it makes sense when you think about her character. Like Victoria's primary concern right now is those hostages writhing on the floor. So finding mama is finding the source of whatever is doing that to them. But also on top of that, the idea of mama getting into her head is like the most terrifying thing ever to her. Like she even admits in this moment that the idea of losing my mind like that terrified me to the point where I felt like my gut and my brain were bound into knots. This is like the idea of, of relinquishing that level of control of her brain to someone else it's even worse than what Valefort did to her. Mama is like, I am literally in your head. Um, you can see me in there. Hello. And so so this is this is the priority for her. And it's it, it's nice that the the hostages and her own personal issues kind of align here to say, like, okay, mama, coming for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree that like she's she's doing her thing where she's prioritizing and not getting caught up in the moment, and she understands that the only way to end this is to get mama. Um, so, and, and, yeah. and like you said, she puts herself at risk actually, even though, even though she's so scared. So that that's all very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the two sides start fighting. There's lots of powers firing off and the fallen are at a disadvantage, unable to leverage their master powers on most of the people present. Yeah. Especially when Sveta shoves her wig into your mouth, Valefor. <laughs> Boom. Hashtag wig mouthed. <laughs> Hashtag wig mouthed. It's trending. It should be. Everyone, let's let's get that hashtag trending. Yeah, let's trending. get hashtag wig mouthed trending wig worldwide. Mouth. Yeah, it's wig mouthed, not not just wig mouth. Okay, just to be yeah, clear. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm stumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So, uh, I just want to call out this moment where Victoria reminds Capricorn not to drown people lying on the ground, um, even though her attention is mainly on finding mama and and battling she always has some attention to spare for the people that she's trying to save and i I just love that touch oh yeah it's so great and and this whole like this whole war is almost us witnessing victoria's ideology threatened and um there's all these bad guys around and 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 she feels like She's kind of caught, unsure what to do, unsure of like how far is too far. But she, her, she does have that one singular focus at all times, which is we have to, we have to help the hostages. And it's so much to the point where like she feels like she can't even directly engage with most of these people because it's too much of a threat to the hostages around. Um, so she instead like sticks to ser- searching for Mama, like we talked about, and then also coaching, coaching her team. She's like, yeah flying in there and capricorn hey um just don't forget about this thing okay i gotta go gotta go search for crazy lady but um but she does it throughout the whole thing she's 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 block trying to block bullets for people um when march slices the the fallen uh, guy in half and she thinks the halves are going to fall down and she runs up to try to catch one like she is very much on the defensive like serving in that support role in this fight yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, that's a good point. Speaking of March, uh, we, we get to see March's power as she kind of slides around on the giant breaker fallen. And then she uses her rapier to create explosive lines on the body. It's very cool how this power is reminiscent of Foil's power while being creative and different. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I, I like you can see the parts that are Foil-ish, but it is still very much its own unique thing. Yeah, it's, it's fun to think about. 
So then March casually murders the Breaker Fallen by blowing up his throat while walking away and doing a cool sword flourish. Um, I think this is really fascinating how we have this character who would be like a cool badass character in a different story. But in this story, it's obvious that March is a fucking psychopath. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit. Um, I think one of the things that I want to do with with this murder that March has just commit committed is I want to compare it to Ashley's. Because, um, like, if you look at them objectively, they're both... They're both murder. They intentionally killed a dude. And even Ashley like does a little bit a little bit of a quip after she does hers. But outside of those facts, I I don't think these two these two deaths, these two killings could not feel more different. March's is is casual. She's doing that walking away from the explosion without looking at it right. thing. The man has surrendered. He's he's begging for help and she doesn't care and it's obvious that this is just something that that she does every day this is just this is just this is just march's life um ashley even as she postures even as she she waxes about this is this is the way things are now you can tell like we said earlier that she can feel the weight of what she done what she has done and it is such a stark difference and i think it's really important that we do this that that we take the time to frame ashley's murder against the other deaths that have been committed in this fight so far because bob smashed people with motorcycles um marches casually explodes a neck ashley did a bad thing i think there's there's no there's i don't think there's any arguing that whether or not bob deserved what happened to him she went too far but i don't think there's any question that the book does not the book definitely does not want you to think that ashley's decision to kill this guy represents this like crossing of a line this this thing that has put her in the camp with the rest of these murderers um ashley messed up and and as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode there should be some consequences for that but ashley is not march she is not this she is not this thing and i think that's really important that we can draw those comparison and and keep what ashley did in that light it could it could be a lot worse yeah that's a very interesting point that i think the book is sort of showing us this this killing here in order to draw a contrast and, and ask you to make that comparison. That's, that's very cool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You can, you can, th there's a lot of kind of axes of like, okay, is it like a cold blooded or, or a hot blooded killing? Or is it, is it, you know, is it necessary for self-defense or is it, was it unnecessary? And uh, um, Ashley, Ashley's isn't like, you know, circumstances weren't great. She, she's not, she wasn't killing him in outright self-defense, but uh, maybe it's a hair more understandable than this killing right here. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's very easy to just say murder is murder is murder. And I think on some level it is, but you still have to reason with, okay, now what? And I think I think that's the important thing to, to keep in mind when framing Ashley's Ashley's decision. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of March, Rain later mentions that March collects and studies multi-triggers and says it's supposed to be important. Yeah, I, I really like that you, this doesn't happen until a little bit later in the chapter, but I like that you pulled it out here um, because we've, we know very little information about March up until this point, right? We know that uh, she's helping Rain, she's studying multi-triggers, um, 
she wants something with foil, but we don't know what. And so we, now we take all this information, we put it in context of what we just learned about March, which is she casually murders dudes like it's no big deal. And that automatically takes all these things that we don't know about her. We don't know the motivation behind them and it throws them in a negative context. Now we're like, OK, we have to fill in the blanks about this. What does she want? What does she want with foil? OK, well, now we know that she just casually murders people. So fill in the blank. Maybe she. So now I'm assuming the worst possible thing, which is she wants to kill her or torture her or something else cruel. And it, and it puts this whole March thing in just this really negative, negative context. And that means like th- th- this idea of studying multi-triggers, which I think is going to be a big part of the ongoing conflict of the story. Um, the, the secrets behind Rain's trigger event by itself and why it appears to be unique. Um, how multi-triggers work and what they say about shards. I think this is going to be very important throughout the story. And now we know that the, the one of the primary people in charge of researching it is a little bit, a little bit messed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I agree with, with everything there. Like, yeah, we're given this ominous tone now. Like we were, we were kind of wondering like, well, maybe she doesn't want to hurt foil and it could still be possible that she doesn't want to hurt foil. But uh, we now see her as being very dangerous um, and capable of of killing people. Um, and like you said, I, I agree that um, the the setting seems to be suggesting that that indeed multi triggers are going to be important in some way. And it's it's just introducing this element of okay, here's a character who's researching that. So it's all it's all building towards something. Mm-hmm. So Victoria is moderately but not extremely bothered by the casual killing here. Yeah, but let's let's look at this. Let's look at her reaction a, a bit here, because the big thing, the big part of this that jumps out to me is her reaction to the killing, like causes her to mentally stutter. Um, her 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 internal narrative that we are reading stutters in this moment. She says, "I I I, I didn't like the killing." Or the casual ease with which she'd done it. So it, it is so taken aback by what, what just happened that her her brain breaks momentarily. Uh-huh. And but she also doesn't really finish her thought here. Like there's these th- this line, I didn't want to say not to kill, but and then finishes that with, but there were civilians suffering. And those two thoughts don't directly line up like that like but there were civilian suffering is not the completion of that sentence um it's just i can't deal with this right now yeah. like yeah. i i object to this but i don't want to i don't want to object to this totally but i think this is wrong but i can't i can't deal with this right now i have my list of priorities and helping the innocent suffering people is more important than chastising march over casually murdering someone yeah, she's stuck in a way where she can't just dispassionately disengage from the situation and and do what she knows is the right thing. Which I mean, I think she knows the right thing is to is to not allow this behavior and and you know push back on it, just as we saw her push back on Ashley's doing a similar thing just a moment ago. Um, but but yeah, she's she's being torn, and this is the kind of decision where I I feel fairly confident saying that Victoria, like on reflection later, will be like. I kind of let myself down there probably could have handled that differently. Um, 
honestly, I mean, like, and don't take that as me being hard on her because, like, if somebody like blew up someone's throat in front of me, I would like need therapy just for that event, you know? Like, yeah, that's 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 horrifying. But like, all these capes are just so like traumatized in general that they're just like, oh man, like death. That's the bummer. Yeah. Well, and like. I don't know what her like what 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 would she have done here if she came to the the conclusion of no I have to stop this I can't let this go on is she going to fly down and she's going to fight march now like it's very easy to create this um warrior monk persona and this idea that you are going to be the person in in control and and your morals are set and you are comfortable with them and you know what they are. And it's another to throw them in practice in a, in a situation as complicated and nuanced as this one. And it, it becomes so much harder to to stick to that strict, unyielding code um, when when you're in the middle of, of a fight where innocent people are in danger. Yeah. What, what do you do? Like, I just as much as I, I do think that Victoria is going to, to get on her case about this, because this is not the only time she does this in this chapter. I don't know what her choice was. I think that this honestly strikes me as like a character moment where she is caught off guard by something. It's something where her, her workflow, her, her catechism can't come into play because there's no time. Um, and, later she will have the opportunity to reflect on it and say, okay, in situations like this, I clearly need a response ready. Like I need to be willing to say in that moment, no killing, you know, like imagine like you can easily imagine like an older, like, like like, like Alexandria or something seeing this happen and just like stopping what she's doing and being like no killing and then going back to what she's doing and, you know, be like having the presence to pull that off but victoria is not like there yet but you can see her getting there yeah um so like this i like this as like a, a a moment on which character development can be hung i like that i like that on the other side you can you, you can see it as you could see it as as her learning how to ensure and and how to be more confident in her um code and to holding up that code but you could also see it in the as like the dissolving of it a little bit that mm-hmm. that she had this she had this idea of the way things were going to be and the events of this fight are systematically destroying that and now she's she's in the point where i feel like i can't even i i i can't even tell someone that they they need to stop killing people yeah yeah i mean that's i think her her mantra probably needs some tune-ups definitely and and this this will show her that but i don't think that see that's the thing you could interpret it as like this this is part of her like fall or you could interpret it as like oh this is you know she's just honing she's honing her techniques and becoming better yeah i I don't want to i don't want to say it's a a fall i don't i don't think so yeah um I, i kind of agree yeah Okay, so she she finds the building where Mama is holed up, and then she starts tearing it apart. Mama responds by surrendering pretty instantly, which makes you wonder if she's just a coward, <laughs> but also makes you wonder if she's got something up her sleeve, which, of course, Victoria also wonders. 
Mama withdraws her power from everyone, including the people she was torturing. Yeah, I, I first of all, I love how Victoria aura locates Mama. Uh-huh. It's like this really clever, inventive use of her aura that kind of reminds us of the time where Tattletale subtly hinted to her that her aura might be the strongest of her powers. Um, like it, it, she's she's a deceptively versatile cape. Yeah. And I, I really like that when we get to see her her use these different things. Um, but yeah, we are really starting to enforce the kind of uh, uncomfortable tension building. This this seems too easy. And the, the book really makes you feel like this is a trap when Victoria says this feels like a trap. And <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the most the most interesting part of this whole exchange to me, though, was when Mama has one of her followers chastise Rain and she says, like she says, like you're disappointing her reign, and his response is, "For one of the first times in my life, I feel like I'm doing something right." And the response is, "No, Rain. She says you might be doing good objectively, but not right." And I think it's pretty fascinating for Ward to remind us through like one of the most blatantly terrible, inhumane people in the story so far that sometimes what's good and what's right are not exactly the same thing not that i think mama is correct here um i don't think she is she she just has a different idea a different definition of right and i think that's a fascinating exchange between to remind us of good and right not always the same thing yeah and regardless of whether mama has a point here it does remind us that even this despicable villain has like a worldview they're not just like cackling to themselves while hurting people for no reason things make sense to them in their own head and that's you know you kind of need that for the story to feel like a real thing that's happening yeah and i love like a lot of worm was about the difference between good and right and i love that you're seeing like mama is aware that the things she does to people are not good are not objectively good behavior but they are the right things to do in her worldview yeah yeah that's it's it is fascinating yeah that's cool so march goes in and retrieves mama relying on her um um, exemption from the power and the multi-trigger twins sedate mama sveta had earlier shoved her wig into veil mouth uh, hashtag wig mouth so so the powerful masters are out of commission their group moves to an open area where they can be seen, and most of the fallen realize that Mama has been captured. Some begin to stand down. Some don't. Yeah, and this is when we really start ratcheting up that tension really badly. Um, it, it, things like appear to be over. Our team has escaped mostly on harms, except for when Ashley is a murderer now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is probably going to happen anyway. Uh, and you're left with this kind of feeling of, okay, that, that was it? That wasn't that wasn't so bad. I mean, it's like could have been could have been way worse. Yeah. What a relief. Maybe maybe this book's gonna be different. Yeah. No, I'm sure everything will just de de escalate now. Yeah, totally. On its own because that uh-huh. happens. Yeah. So this this scene becomes a tense standoff, and as we mentioned at the beginning of this chapter, there are so many relevant groups here. We've got fallen loyal to Mama who are standing down. We've got other fallen with their own ambitions who don't. We've got Prancer's group and formerly Bob's group who have their own separate agendas, which don't involve dying for Mama. Um, 
the, the heroes are there. The undersiders don't appear to be there unless I'm mistaken. Um, then you've got March's group and the misfit toys. Uh, so it's just all so awesomely complicated. Yeah. It, it's great because we started this chapter with three groups facing each other down and we've just, just expanded that out tenfold. And, you know, thinking about all these groups and their different wants and needs, it reminded me of Victoria's, like, when Victoria was trying to position a argument against why the Misfit Toys should not be a team, one of her arguments was, well, you each appear to have a different idea of what you want out of this thing and what this thing means to you and what you want this team, what you want out of this team. And when you do that, when you all approach this this team up with a different idea of what you want the results of that can be disastrous and we kind of that's kind of what we're seeing here now because hollow point rains cluster the violent bob remnants um they all are on the same team but they all want different things and the same thing is is true with with the misfit toys and March's group. The same thing is true with the wardens and the, and the groups that they're teaming up with this thing. We have these sides that we've apparently called and, and I'm on your side, you're on my side, we're against the other side, but I want something different than you do. And the results of that, as Victoria so aptly predicted way back in the second arc is chaos. <laughs> it's just absolute chaos. Yeah. Yeah, right. When you don't have alignment and we when you don't have leadership. I'm going to go ahead and, and mm-hmm. start talking about leadership here because the, the there's Mama is the leader of the Fallen, but even she seems to not command a lot of actual loyalty. It's more like, you know, terror. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Prancer is try. you know, he's doing his best, but he's kind of a weak leader. Bob was a leader who ruled with his fists to to a fault obviously um who do we know here who has the capacity to be a leader who what which which, um, which character here has you um know, leadership qualities that yeah. people have pointed out and even a power that might help that kind of thing <laughs> anyway and 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 I, and I bring this up also because our next chapter is going to be very much about the idea of taking leadership yeah. Um, well, on a different scale, though. Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, the, the the most interesting thing about this, we're, we're about to spill over. The, the betrayal is about to happen. And, and Victoria is looking at this and thinking, if I accepted that things were going reasonably well here, this was a good outcome. Civilians had been hurt. People had died. But Prancer hadn't achieved his win. And Snag's group wasn't going to get their opportunity. If I accepted it, I couldn't bring myself to. So here, like in Victoria's mind, the conflict is starting to die down. There's a little tension in the air, but but it seems like they've won. But Victoria can't she can't take this as a win because her goal here was not just prevent. Her goal was to stop. Her goal was to stop the bad guys and make and get rid of the bad guys. Stop the fallen. Stop Hollow Point. Um, and she didn't do that here. And 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 there were there were costs too. Yeah. Um, well, and she's also right that things are not going relatively well here. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So I, I, that's interesting because that I think that's more how I read it the first time was was that she couldn't accept that this was going to end well, 
she seems to be right about that. But but also, even if this were the best possible outcome, she wouldn't have accepted it. Yeah, so that's interesting. I, hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to go reread reread that in context. Actually, yeah, I don't know which one. I don't know which one I like more. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like them both. Yeah, me too. So shockingly, uh, there's a commotion, a betrayal, <laughs> and chaos. And at least it's chaos on the first read through in, in, in like a fun way, like not a confusing way. Right. Um, in the second read through, you know, or if you read just like really carefully, I guess, but who has time for that? Um, you figure out what's going on. So the, the speedrunners spring a trap and this Chekhov's gun has been set up well in advance. We, we from the first you know moment we heard about hollow point almost, we started hearing about the speedrunners and Victoria reminds us of that. And these, these speedrunners overwhelm all the good guys in their bid to retrieve Mama. Yeah, this is this is such a good Chekhov's gun, Matt. It's like when Chekhov shows you the gun and then you haven't looked at the gun for so long, you forget the gun's there. Right. And then you're like, oh shit, that gun. Yeah. Um, like so because we sent we spent a good portion of an earlier chapter going like line by line in detail through each of the speedrunners' powers. And we almost learned more about how their powers work than any other villain the Misfit Toys have come up against so far. Yeah. Um, like the detail with which Victoria talked about these guys. And and we set specifically out, here's how they could really screw us over. Here's how, if given the opportunity, they could really just mess everything up. Here's It's all on the paper. It's right in front of us. And then we move on from them. And they're just not in the story for a long time after that. To the point where we've kind of forgotten about them. Right. They don't participate in the fights in Hollow Point. Right. And that, for some reason, we didn't notice that at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think I think maybe Victoria notes their absence, uh, I, I think. I'm not sure. Um, Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it probably is actually kind of a bit of a three-beat where we're introduced to their existence. Um, there's definitely the scene where Snag meets with them briefly. Yeah. And then there's a separate point where, yeah, I think Victoria thinks like, I wonder where the speedrunners are. It's a mm-hmm. good thing they didn't show up. And yeah, yeah then, then the hammer drops. I want to talk a little bit about the chaos and the confusion aspect of this, though. Okay. Because I think that's something that's deceptively difficult to do in writing something. Because you kind of have to thread a, a line. Um, like, you you. You have to walk this very, I just totally mixed my metaphors there. You have to walk this very fine line um, between confusing enough to get off the feeling of chaos you have, but not so confusing that you just can't even follow the action on any level. And I think I think this achieves that. And I think that's why this works really well, because I think you're absolutely right. The first time I read it, you're like, wait, what is going, who did, why, who, what is, and you still see like you still get the emotional impact of this thing that that sides are turning against each other um the 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 victory that they thought they had achieved over the fallen um is gone now and we're screwed but so you feel that chaos without feeling like i don't i don't understand what's happening here i've just lost the thread completely and and just the, so i have no emotional attachment to this so you never get there. And I yeah. think that's, that's like, it's, it seems like it's easy to do, but I don't, I really don't think it is. And I think this does it very well. I agree. I think that there's chaos that makes you just confused and irritated. 
And then there's yeah. chaos that makes you want to slow down and read more carefully because you understand that what's happening is there to be figured out if you're paying attention. Yeah. And th- this is that. I also appreciate that to, to kind of reinforce the chaos, like Victoria gives us uh, quick like reminders about what the speedrunner's powers are um, because we we have been told them. But like I said, it's been so long uh, that we don't we might not necessarily remember the details of it until prompted by Victoria. And it's a good way of like it keeps up the chaos without like it keeps up the chaos because it doesn't slow the pace of the text down because we don't have to go into these long explanations. We're just like, Oh yeah, he's the one that does this. And your brain's like, Oh yeah, I remember when you told me that. Um, so you, you get, you get, you get the, the chaos factor, but also still get the information you need. Yeah, absolutely. So secondhand manages to retrieve mama, but Victoria makes sure to shatter veil for his jaw before he can be rescued. <laughs> I can't wait until the protagonist of wild bows wink. The hit follow-up toward rips Velfor's nose off in like four years. Um, We're just gonna go through the five senses. Yeah, and by the end, Velfor will be the you know protagonist. He's gonna feel so bad for him. Yeah. So the hostages now turn on the heroes, having received a latent command from Velfor. This is a uh, not a good look for for team. No, we shouldn't kill these guys immediately because that would be wrong. Yeah, maybe we should have should have killed him. I mean, I, I, it's, it's like that's. I mean, that's like that's the frustrating game you start to play, right? Is that like obviously these people have surrendered. You should not just execute them all, but also then this happens. Yeah, and that's why, like, it it always feels like in any of these conflicts, the heroes are always playing from behind because right they don't get to do the things that the bad guys would be willing to do. Yeah. And, and powers really mess things up there too. Like yeah. in, in real life, if somebody surrenders, it's very difficult to imagine a situation in which you shouldn't accept their surrender. But like, right. If gray boy surrenders to you, you're pretty much just like, yeah, okay. I'm still going to kill you like, <laughs> like immediately. Cause you're gray boy. Like there's no, like you're come on, come on. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. The, the saddest part about this whole thing to me, though, is, is Wildbow takes the time to show us that after this latent veil for command, Aaron was coming after Rain, and so was her little brother, who couldn't even be older than nine. Yeah. And, I, like, we know that this is an order from Veilfor, but we've also seen what it's like to be under Veilfor's control. And I seriously doubt Veilfor said... You two specifically attack rain yeah. when, when the opportunity strikes. What he probably was just, just said was when the opportunity arises, when there's, there's a, a, a chance to make a move, uh, attack the, your captors and Aaron beelines for rain. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's the rip, I, rip, I, eight. Airain. 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 I do want to find out what exactly like I I kind of hope I know it's probably too much to hope for but I hope that we find out what that order was cuz it could have been like attack your hero <laughs> or something, you know. We could salvage this, Scott. Matt, you're just way too you're way too optimistic. Yeah. I know. It's almost like I haven't read these stories. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So at this point, it begins to rain. Water, uh, and, water rain. And guess who loves this, Matt? Do, do it's you, me. Do, do I love this? I mean, I I hope so. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, and we set up, the, like I said, we set up the storm in the first sentence of the chapter. Um, but it, it, it paying off in now in this moment is perfect. Um, the, the, up until this point, the battle the Misfitoys have, have waged is in this whole thing is about uh, containing the Fallen, is about uh, hopefully preventing Hollow Point from winning as well. And Rain himself has, has been in the background of it, but, but never... Um, never really the the forefront of the conflict. And even, even the moment where he appeared on the scene for the first time was never the forefront of the conflict, but he's about to, he's about to move to the forefront here. It's about, this is about to be the rain show, um, for like the, 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 the battle mostly focuses on now rain is fighting against his cluster. And, and so when rain rains, rain pours, uh. is it, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Everyone just stopped listening, so now you can yeah, continue. This is unsubscribe. Yeah. Um. See, because it was rains like like R E I. It's it was funny when I wrote it down. Oh yeah, no, it's really good. It's really good. Shut up. I was just kidding. Um. I hate you. So when Victoria turns back to the battle, she realizes she's been shunted out into an apocalypse dimension by end of days. I mean, like a different apocalypse dimension than the one she was already in. Um, but she, anyway, she's out of the battle for a few minutes. And when she comes back, things have progressed and we missed what happened in, in the interim. I was going to laugh at your joke, but you were mean to me. Yeah. So now, now, now we're even. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the, the shunting as a way of continuing on the idea of maximum amount of chaos because we, we remove our point of view character from the battle and then we throw them back in it and force them and us at the same time to catch up on everything that's happened in the meantime. And so we, there's no way we have time to catch up on everything. So we're just left into, okay, what's happening now? And, and it, it, it keeps that chaos factor rolling through the, the latter half of this, this part of the conflict. Yeah. I really like the effect of it on your, your like sense of instability and uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she comes back and Rain is fighting Snag, and Rain's traps lacerate Snag's arm really badly. Rain tries to pin him in place with his silver blades, but shortly we see that something has moved Snag and he's now grievously wounded. The cluster members all collapse. When did Rain become such a badass? He's got traps with blades in his breakable arms. Yeah. And he's fighting toe to toe with Snag. He's gone a long way from getting his ass beat by his uncle. Yeah, I mean it's cool because because we see the the moment of fighting his uncle kind of got him to put those blades in the arms. That's what prompted that. Yep. And he got a few extra um, um, shard tokens last night. So presumably there's a, there's some other benefits that he's that he's accrued here. Um, but yeah, he's. He's doing well. He's doing well for himself. Although I, I, I bet he didn't mean to kill Snag, but uh, no, no, I'm sure he used that blade as a stay back, yeah, keep away type thing yeah. to pin him down and not a cut your neck open. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There, there, there is there is an interesting moment here before before he even throws the blade at Snag. Um. 
Victoria watches just him, his trap arms slice through Snag's arm. And she says to herself, on any other day, any other circumstance, I never would have imagined I'd have let this go. But she does here. Yeah. Um, Because once again, she's got more important things to deal with. Her friends are in danger. Rain seems to have it. But so she lets it go. And once again, Victoria must put aside what she thinks is right because there's more pressing things to deal with. And I don't necessarily think she's wrong here. Snag is like actively trying to kill Rain and he's using whatever methods he can to defend himself. But this is seemingly against Victoria's 75% damage back thing, right? Um, and I think this once again goes to show us how quickly those those rules and those codes go out the window when it's when when cops and robbers isn't there anymore when people aren't pulling their punches when people aren't holding back this is this is the world yeah i gotta say i don't agree with your 75 percent thing in this context because like if a criminal tells you they're going to kill you and you see them like drive up to your house and walk up to your door with a gun in their hand like a sane person isn't like well i guess i'll have to punch them in the face (laughs) even though i have a gun myself because otherwise it would be too much it's like no you're just going to shoot them before they shoot you like that that's i'm sorry i'm sorry everyone that's 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 what you would do but you aim the bullet in a way so that only only three-fourths of the bullet hits them yeah right you yeah you only shoot one chamber of their heart yeah that's there you go okay i got it no, I, I think you're right, and I think I think that whole seventy five percent rule is is remnant of an earlier time before things had escalated to this point. It's very easy to say that when you're just like dealing with with people on the street, um, when you're just like fighting some some hollow point people who are chasing after your friend, and it's very easy to say that then. It's not it's not so easy to say that in the middle of a war, right? Which I don't think she wants to admit that's what she's in, but it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so Snag is, is presumably dead or, or dying here, right? Um, and the cluster all gets sucked back into the dream. I don't think this is, I don't think it's nighttime here, right? Like it's it's raining, but I'm pretty sure it's like mid-afternoon or something. Right, yeah. So it's not like this is just, they just ran out of time. I got, this was something different. This is something changed. This is either prompted by Snag's death or... Uh, something else the some, something something else could be weird happening here yeah yeah no i mean I, it's de- like they definitely wouldn't have all been caught off guard by it suddenly being nighttime so yeah yeah i think uh i think some yeah it's definitely um definitely related to what just happened i would say and we don't even get to see victoria misses how this happened so we don't we don't get to see if if maybe rain went up and kicked him when he was defenseless or maybe something else happened or maybe he moved too quickly or maybe just like it could be that this dream just happened and he fell down while the thing was on him and the the act of falling down sliced him open we don't know yeah it is Um, yeah it's cool how we just don't see right right so then this chapter wraps up the drizzle became rain punctuated by gunfire there was fighting everywhere and even the people that were holding back were hitting pretty damn hard now not dissimilar to how I had with Veilfor. Not heroes and villains, only monstrousness and madness. So I think we're going to do a big arc five um, 
analysis of the arc as a whole after it wraps up. But I think right now, without having gone back and really read, read through it, one of the things I think this arc is, is the collapse of the game, the collapse of cops and robbers. And I think that we as readers probably knew that this was over like a while ago. But when I say collapse of the game, collapse of cops and robbers, I mean in Victoria's mind. This is something that Victoria wanted. It's it's the place where she felt she could do the most good when there are clear good guys and bad guys. Um, and when there's clear stopping the bad guys, arresting them, doing the hero work. And this ends with that gone. And the thing that I love about this, the thing you just read, Victoria doesn't remove herself from culpability in this moment. She's not saying, look what these monsters are doing. There's there's an implied we when she gives this beat of even the people that were holding back were hitting pretty damn hard now. Not dissimilar to how I had with Valefor. I did it too. I hit really hard. I did not hold back. I needed to um, shut him down to stop him. And I hit really hard. And she's lumping herself up in that and 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 that might not be fair but i think that's victoria yeah no i i think i think it probably is just showing self-awareness that she's like yeah like i i had to basically break a guy's jaw preemptively not Mm -hmm. not after he had done something to me but rather to prevent him from doing something worse later which basically is kind of the difference between justice and you know aggression um and yeah she's i I think you're right i think she understands that she is a part of this thing that is happening yeah all right that was awesome um we move into the next chapter which is interlude 5.x and we are now outside of the battle again as much as we wanted to know what was going to happen next in the battle (laughs) it's it's actually a very satisfying interlude because it gives us a perspective on things um and uh, I, I don't know like it's interesting I, I i almost immediately like there's there's always a little pang when you're pulled away from action you wanted to see and but but like almost immediately i was like okay this is this is cool i'm, I'm into this now like I, I wasn't disappointed that we didn't get to finish the battle or whatever yeah i think you're right so here we sit in on a meeting of the current leadership of the uh, leadership council of gimmel We've met these people before, mostly, I think. We have Sierra, the undersider front, John Druck, working-class businessman, Gary Neves, politician, and Buckner, a real estate mogul. Um, Our POV, though, is Jean Wynn. She walks the other council members through her projections that people will start dying soon. Scion has left radiation on Bet enough that everyone still living there will eventually get sick. And talking about why I think you were pulled directly into this and okay with leaving the battle behind. I think once again, it has to do with how the chapter opens. And this chapter starts with one word. It starts with a person saying deaths. And that one word could mean anything in our context. We just left a war where people were dying. Um, And that kind of immediately grabs your attention and says, we're talking about death here. Let's figure out what death we're talking about. Yeah. And 
that pulls you in i think yeah i think i actually assume that it's the death from the battle but it's not yeah right yeah uh so we're peeking at this high level politics of gimel and it's telling that of the few people at the table one is an undersided representative and two are ex-cauldron yeah it's supposed to be a gathering of of humans interested in in human affairs but uh it's just shadowy parahuman organization yeah. <laughs> unbeknownst to half the people on the group right all all seemingly evil although <laughs> not not evil necessarily but not the heroes right although it does make me yeah. wonder if one of these other guys is like a secret hero representative that wouldn't that surprise would, me no not at all and and we, we kind of set this up earlier but what I, I like most about this is is for for most of the story and for definitely most of this arc we've been set we've been focused on the misfit toys and their important but ultimately street level problems the the war between the fallen and the hollow point uh, um and and this is like the most important thing to them and it is really important. I don't want to take that away from these guys. They're going through a lot. This is crazy. But now we take a step back and we see how much of a small chunk of the overall plan this conflict is part of them, how, part of how big the problem of Gimel is before you even even deal with these capes in this war. We're moving into the macro in this chapter here where we're we're victoria flying above the battlefield now looking at not just the war, that skirmish but the whole fight of Gimel and I think it's it's really nice to kind of get get a, a level set uh, explanation of this is what this is this is the conflict the overall conflict yeah it's recalibrating the stakes and I think it's right. also giving us a bit of a sense of what the impact of this battle with the fallen could be because while the stakes are higher than just the battle with the fallen, the outcome of the battle with the fallen could very much impact the global stakes. Yeah, true. Yeah. Connecting things together for us. Um, yeah, just like as a as a, as a general comment here, I'll just say that I, I like the like political realism that Wildo writes here. Stuff like Gene's analysis of Neves as somebody who would have done well as a critic of a weak incumbent but not someone with a vision to lead in a situation like this. So there we have that beat of leadership again. Yeah. And it's very relatable too. we've, we've all seen, we've all, I think we've all met the type of person that really likes that is quick to criticize, but slow to offer their own solution. Those there, those people everywhere. Um, and it's a really kind of succinct way of describing who this guy is while also doing a good job of setting up who she is because she's someone who is able to kind of parse this thing and and know him yeah just just from this behavior right so gene is trying to convince the assembled tower players to follow the plan she's putting forth get the people in line get them working they need to prepare for the winter and get people out of bed as quickly as possible interestingly it's the cauldron folks who are um again being accused of treating people as numbers on a spreadsheet but they're again right about like this being the utilitarian best course um i think that's interesting and probably means something yeah of course the first chapter with with cauldron-esque stuff and we're already into just gray morality again (laughs) i'm not even sure how i feel about this that that i think you're right that that gene is right 
we need to focus on getting people off of bet. We need to make sure there's food and shelter for them when they get here. But they are they are continuing the cauldron tradition of of breaking people down to numbers and data. Um, and I do think it's ultimately probably for the best in this situation. Their goal here is once again to save millions of people. Um, but but we've seen this go south before. Yeah, right. I think we're very intentionally being reminded of the fact that this was the this has been the cauldron approach the whole time and like it's extraordinarily debatable whether they actually did anything meaningful to save off the end of the world um and yet again like yeah you, th- their their methods make sense always kind of but also you you have to be very skeptical of them and you know, and again, you have these cauldron characters who are very good at justifying themselves to themselves and to others. Uh, but man, you just we've been burned once, guys. Yeah, yeah. Send all your uh, your complaints to Matt talking about about cauldron to at more mail. <laughs> yes, I I I subsist <laughs> on your tears. <laughs> Um, before we move on, I just want to briefly touch about uh, something that's a, that I thought was interesting here. Like you said above, the reason for this entire conversation is that Scion has had uh, that Scion's attack has had an effect on the radiation levels of Earth. Bit uh, it, it's it's a remnant of this horrible thing that happened in the past. And I was thinking, and, and actually, um, I actually happened to listen to our first arc discussion the other day, just because I. My podcast feed was empty and I was like, oh, well, I'm self-absorbed. I'll listen to myself. <laughs> um, and during that first arc of arc, we talked a lot about the, that central theme of a fresh start, how the amnesty represents this. There's this new untouched world. There's this chance to heal and improve a second chance for mankind. And we outlined the central conflict around that idea was one of um, being stuck in the past versus looking towards the future. And I think we see once again in this whole conversation, this conflict rearing its head again on the largest scale we've seen in the book so far. These are the people that run the new world, basically. We have the mayoral candidates, we have the news media, we have uh, gangs, and yes, some capes, even though they're not letting on that they're capes. And they're all here discussing if we should push our resources into making those people on Gimel as content as possible versus helping those back in the old world and saving as many people as possible. And that's that's one of the just the main conflicts we have here. And this got me thinking the reason why I think this this conflict is so uh, enjoyable is because there's good and bad on both sides of it, because we have here. This idea of you shouldn't live in the past, but you shouldn't forget it either. We shouldn't just forget about those people that are back trapped in the old world just because we're now here on this new one. Um, but you shouldn't like you shouldn't just be so future focused that you forget about everything else. But you shouldn't also completely live in the past. And there's that conflict between like I think it's Neves that says every day we don't go back to bet. I'm losing support of my followers because like there's some people that are trapped in the past and just want to go back there. There's some people that are just so future focused that all they can do is look about the future. And then in the middle, we seem to have uh, 
Jean, who thinks saving the people in the past are important, but also thinks it's it's what's best for the survival of the species as a whole. Yeah, so I, I, I love that because I may have sounded like I was being hard on on you know Jean's perspective here, but actually. The remarkable thing here is that she actually comes off as like the level-headed and obviously correct one here because she's like, the, the, they're like, you can't just treat people as numbers on a spreadsheet. And she's like, I know you have to give them incentives and yeah. here, here are some reasonable incentives. And, and like <laughs> everyone, like she she doesn't come off as inhuman and cold, really. She, she comes off as savvy and understanding of the issues and like even comes off as genuinely um, disappointed that Neves kind of refuses to play ball and, and, and rejects them. Cause like Neves is kind of the politician guy and, and he's very unhappy. He rejects their plan. And when Gene admits that the plan was, was generated by a parahuman uh, later, we find out it was a cord. Um, he, he just wants nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of goes on a rant about how like 99 times out of a hundred, it's the parahumans who bring any new disaster. And, and it's like he's he's like factually right about that, but she's the one who's like, yeah, but we still have to move forward, and, and we we have to do the best with what we have, and if what we have is powers, we can get a handle on the powers, and 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 you know, she believes that cauldron powers specifically can be used relatively safely. Um, so like all of her perspectives make sense even to us, and we're if anything a little biased against cauldron at this point. Yeah, this this is really interesting because Neves is being kind of super racist here. Um, (laughs) Is that what it's called when they're parahumans? Is it racist? Sure. I don't know. Sure. Um, But you're right that he's not exactly wrong that a a lot, if not most of the main conflicts that have happened in Bet have been the result of capes. But. But Gene's also right that, okay. But they they're still here. We can't like to to reject information that could help people just because it's coming from a cape is not good either. And and they get into this kind of squabble where he says we're, we're locked in a cage with a wolf. And and Gene's response is, well, wolves are domesticated to become dogs. And his response is, well, these wolves killed billions of people. And that's interesting because Scion killed billions of people. Right. The capes have killed people, yes. But the end of the world happened not because of Joe Cape. The end of the world happened because of Scion. Yeah. And and so we're seeing here he's lumping the end of the world. He's blaming every single one of these people for the end of the world. And that's when that's when you take um factually true information and warp it into a vendetta against an entire group of people. And it makes you wonder, like the capes know, they don't necessarily know that Scion is like an alien, but they know that Scion is not a parahuman. But we're not really sure how far that information has spread. We're not sure who exactly knows or like if they've heard it, who believes that Scion is an alien, capes are alien parasites and the thing is, you don't even necessarily know if you want that information spread around. Because if you think about it, it's like you, you you think you're defending yourself when you say like, no, 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 it was it wasn't me. It was the alien parasite that that doesn't calm people down, really. 
they're they're just like oh good you have an alien parasite okay yeah yeah that doesn't make me more sympathetic toward you um but yeah i i uh i also like her her metaphor because she's almost implying that that natural capes are wolves and cauldron capes are dogs um yeah i think that tracks yeah which prejudices us in her favor even more because we love dogs um yeah so 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 is Jean's f- final solution then to eliminate all non-cauldron capes? <laughs> um, she she see that's what's interesting is she even seems biased against the natural capes, right? Yeah, like like uh, almost as much as Neves is. She's just like no 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 not not all capes are bad, <laughs> just yeah, most ha- of them. Hashtag not all capes. Not all capes. Hashtag wig mouthed. That's yes, wig mouthed. So yeah, yeah. He's not really. What's interesting is he's he he's not speaking from ignorance. He's aware of the conflict drive, having done his homework. He's aware that rogues always go wrong somehow. That power is used to do good ends ends up having traps in them. Um, but yeah, like the she she says that that there's a subset of powers, meaning cauldron powers, that that buck this trend. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know about yeah, that. and like we and like we talked about in the community section, is that true? I mean, like from from a purely like what we understand of shards perspective, cauldron shards are dead, right? That's what that's Scion describes them as dead shards. Uh-huh. Um, so presumably, if the thing is dead, then it is not driving your actions. But we also understand so little of these things still. So to to declare that like a hundred percent and the solution to all of our problems is just putting people with powers in it that don't have the conflict drive and that'll solve everything. And it's like, I, I see why you think that, but eh. yeah, I mean, cauldron capes just have never struck me as being more stable yeah. or, or reliable. I mean, the triumvirate capes are all kind of screw ups with, with personal problems um, just just yeah. really any of them. Just pick yeah. one. Idolan's definitely really totally reliable, right? Right. Isn't it totally stable? Yeah. What was wasn't Accord Cauldron? I don't know. Actually, I forget. Actually, maybe he wasn't. Well, definitely Quick. all all of his ambassadors were. Or right. Most, most of them. Anyway, I'm gonna stop making mistakes there. Um. Yeah. So we finally find out for sure who Jean is. It's Citrine, formerly of Accord's ambassadors. She's the shaker with a strong cauldron power, the ability to tune regions of space to a wide variety of effects. And Citrine has apparently married in to cauldron. Jean and Kurt, the guy who's good with numbers, wear matching Damascus wedding bands. What? <laughs> That's what I did. Uh, yeah, I think it took me it took me way too long to re- to figure out that he was the number man. Yeah, I mean that's that's my question. Uh-huh. Um, did we know that his name was Kurt before this chapter? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I did. Uh, we'll get to it, but the, I I had not figured it out at this point. I did not know who this person was. It was probably, I think it, for me, it was literally until the clones came where I was like, oh, shit, this is a number, man. I think uh, I 
I don't want to give myself more credit than I actually deserve, but I think like some combination of the mention of him wearing glasses and then and then and then the point when like a whole bunch of numbers flash on the screen of his laptop, I was like, oh yeah, that's who do who do I know who does that? Um, but yeah, it was well done, well done in how it's kind of it's never just served up to you or at least you you get it before it's served up to you yeah i should say yeah Yeah. i i will say i got it before someone calls him number man (laughs) yes yes (laughs) good so i still got that going for me yeah so gene admits to sierra that she really wants to be in control the doctor didn't want to be in control but citrine does pretty much the only thing we know about citrine is that she has lust for power yeah, this is interesting, though, because Sierra says to her, you might be the only person that really wants it. And Jean's response is, we might be the only ones who can do it. And Sierra says that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a discussion to be had here because there is a difference between a general lust for power and a sense that I have to be in power because I legitimately feel like I am the only one that can fix our problems. And I don't know which one she lands more on the side of. Um, we do know that she likes power. That is something we draw to her character in the past, and we we remind our readers of it again when we, fla- we do that flashback. But I think there is something to be said of the fact that they both legitimately feel like we are the only ones that can do this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they probably do legitimately feel that way because of their kind of heightened perspective on things. You know, I'm I'm thinking about it and like I just said lust for power, right? But I'm actually wondering if that's the exactly right characterization because it could it, it's more like lust for people to regard her well, which is not quite yeah. the same thing and and is a little bit less a little bit less like prone to turning into like a monstrous like Roman emperor who who, you know, does horrible things. Yeah. Like if you if it's just the lust for power, then that can be horribly pathological. But if it's a if it's a need for everyone to admire you, then that carries along with it some actual requirement that you be admirable. Um, So, yeah, that's a little bit of a check on just like a raw lust for power. Just yeah. Yeah. Lust for power implies to me power for power's sake. Yeah. and, And no other no other desire behind that. And you're right. I do not think I do not see in this flashback that that's what she wants. I think, I think you call it here, this desire to rise up and that's Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. 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 For for some reason I'm feeling a need to be charitable to Jean here because like, I don't want to assume like, Oh, she's just, just going to be like a a villain because I, because she's from Cauldron and I expect her to be like, that's, I feel like that would be a lazy assumption. So yeah, I mean, uh, one thing these stories have done again and again is make you sympathize and understand characters, even even if they're doing things you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. Just something I'm seeing in her so far. Yeah, touche. Yeah, so Jean checks in on the battle in New Haven, but we don't learn in anything we didn't know already. Just chaos and death. Yeah. We then witness a brief moment of tenderness between Number Man and Citrine. Aw, they're so adorable and power hungry <laughs> I, I i do i do love that like in the middle of this which is really like this 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 tender moment between these two characters we also have citrine like 
listing all the reasons why they're horribly fucked. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like Tattletail's doing her own thing and she can't see the big picture. The wardens did this whole thing without even telling us, which is I think shows you like who is really in control here. Like she's frustrated that they agreed to participate in this fight without running it by number man and Citrine first. Yeah. Um, then she's like, there's the sleeper. There's the blue empress lady. But hey, we're love. Yay. Yay. It's all you need. <laughs> but then they segue. We, we, we now segue into a flashback where Jean, uh, formerly known as Jean Brown, with a different spelling of her first name, is interviewed by a cord in Juvie. Jean has apparently assaulted and cut off the lower eyelid of a rival t- inmate. The rival had worked for a cord, so Jean will either make herself of service to him or pay the price for crossing him. He recognizes and understands her need to rise up, and he wants to give her that chance. I don't think I've done as much of a 180 on any character in these stories so far as I did on a cord. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like I don't mean like this is a scumbag character and now I like them. I mean, I didn't think this was a well-constructed character and then I did. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you remember, but if you'll recall way back in arc 17, I was like, this guy feels like a bond villain and he feels so out of place to me. And then we got to know him and, and yeah, he's, he's crazy, but he's fascinating. And the most surprising emotion I felt when we saw him in this scene was I kind of miss this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it's like, oh, Citrine is still using his his plan to fix the world. And it's like she's still chasing his dream. Yeah. No, I I remember that. I remember that very well because I remember you you basically saying like I I just can't imagine like th- this doesn't seem like a real person and just me kind of like smiling and just being like what's amazing is that like i know what you mean but when you are inside his head and you see how his mind works you will see him as a real person and that's that's what's so cool about this um yeah so back in the present she and her husband discuss polls this is the uh still pretending democracy exists portion of the episode (laughs) Um, and this is this is what what we were hinting at earlier too, because as part of in the middle of the discussion, they're also just checking on the updated events of of the Fallen War, and we see this this beautiful sentence here, um, or a couple paragraph rather. Hours ago, things had turned for the worst in the localized war outside of New Haven. Those things, to an extent, had little to do with them. When they got back to their home and business, they would get the full update on the dead and lost. Documents would be updated, and some plans would be shifted around. And that's what we're talking about with this whole conflict, this whole thing. It's just like, it's just something that will result in a plan being slightly updated for Citrine. And it's like, oh, Victoria's going through some shit right now. And you're just like, yeah, I mean, this is this is fine. We'll we'll deal with it. We might have to update our stuff. We have to rely on some different people than we thought the first time around. And it's like, wow. Yeah. It makes sense, though, because Victoria is, like, trying to matter, but we're not convinced that she is succeeding. Yeah. And and at this point in the story, just speaking from, like, a narrative view, it's too early for her to be succeeding. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the events of this war so far have shown that 
her team is really kind of out of its league as far as all this stuff going down. They thought they were having an impact. They thought they were doing things and, and things are kind of just rolling without their, their control over it. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, Citrine and Neverman become aware that they've located the thief, which we don't know what that is yet, but they instantly take off in her yellow sports car. They use their powers in concert to race to his location, intercepting two of Kurt's clones on the way. Yeah, so when he started using his power to like predict how best to drive on the road, that was when I was like, oh yeah, that's Neverman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's um, when it clicked for me. I really like this bit of characterization of the two of them. And just, we get into their heads quite a bit here where Kurt is, is comments something about his clones and Gene replies, you seem annoyed if they're dissimilar to you and you're annoyed if they're similar. I'm offended. They exist. Kurt said, I like them. I see them and I'm reminded of how I used to be. We traveled similar journeys. Didn't we? We were vicious once, and now we're civilized. We're still vicious, he said. Good grooming doesn't clean that slate, nor should it. Um, yeah. Yeah, Matt. That's, that's kind of our past versus future conflict again, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're still vicious. Like, our pa- like we, we still have that in us. Yeah, and you still have to honor the past, and what while acknowledging that, yes, you have that good grooming now. I mean, man, this themes so many themes yeah it doesn't clean that slate nor should it yeah that's never man saying we are still the mistakes we've made we still are the things we were we look different now we act different we might have become better but that doesn't mean that that stuff should be forgotten yeah it kind of reminds you of how he like felt warm nostalgia when he saw his harbinger costume yeah uh back in worm yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah. What a complicated character. I'm not even sure like if I'd call him a bad guy at this point. Yeah. It's like these two people like I don't you you instinctively want to label them, right? You want to put them into a category cuz it 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 gets it allows you to grasp who they are and where they're going better, but they're really categoryless at this point in the chapter. Yeah. It also reminds me of someone challenging him on morality and worm and him going, "Ah, morals." <laughs> So not a, maybe not a bad guy, but probably not a good guy. No, no. Yeah. Uh, and I also just love this tidbit that Number Man basically invented the trading dollar that everyone uses and that is like this the best currency. Yeah, which, which explains kind of how the economy got stable so quickly on this place that there was this, a cape managing it. Yeah, right. They also discuss the fact that Fortuna isn't with them. She's retired, although we did last see her with Teacher. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is like they call her Fortuna, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's significant because yeah. that that shows to kind of reinforce her tire her her retiring. She she became Contessa, and she has it seems set that aside. Um, but they also kind of describe her in a way that makes me believe that she's dying, because they describe like with her remaining years, and and Fortuna's not that old of a person. Um, interesting I didn't catch that but but you're right that is an interesting phrasing yeah um, yeah so uh, they call in a favor from Barfbat <laughs> who helps them track down the thief 
I'm pretty impressed that the favors that you owe cauldrons are not null and void after the end of the world. Oh, no. All right. At least I get out of my favor. Nope. 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 Um, I'll bet there was somebody calling, just calling everyone after the world ending ended just to be like, hey, just so you know, you're uh, you're not off the hook. Yeah, yeah two, two favors left. Yeah, you're still uh, alive? Okay, good. Yes. Yeah. You still owe us. <laughs> which, which means that Barf Bat is a cauldron cape, right? Yeah. So if I paid thousands of dollars and had to do favors to cauldron and I ended up being this guy, I'd probably want a refund. Uh, yeah, he probably wanted to be Batman. Yeah, that's a great that's a great headcanon. <laughs> I want to be like Batman. Yeah. And they took it literally because they're cauldron. Yeah. And they right. made him a bat, man. That is what a shard would do. Yeah, that's true. So the thief is Ballminder or Ballminder. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy who stole a bunch of cauldron vials. But Ballminder says he doesn't have them anymore. They were claimed by Teacher with a small <laughs> army full of capes. And not just the minor thinkers and tinkers that teacher makes either. I think this might just be the least surprising revelation in the entire chapter. Um, oh, you mean teacher is back in a big way? Uh-huh. I'm shocked. But but the thing the thing that is so resonant to me throughout this whole thing is how cyclical this all feels now, right? Like we've had just a big giant cape war. That's what this chapter. And now here as we end the arc. We have new cauldron. We have cauldron 2.0. We have teacher back in a new way. It's like, oh shit. It's just, we're just bet 2.0. We're already there. Yeah. Although I can't help but anticipate some kind of subversion when you put it that way. Yeah. I think that's fair. And this chapter ends with Jean deciding, we'll take the city, she said. No use delaying now. If he has cauldron, we'll take everything else. If we take the city, we can control the wardens. If the fallen come out ahead, we'll control them. You you sound almost as if you hope it will happen, Kurt observed, the fallen winning. Not hope, but I think it's more likely than not, so I'm planning accordingly. I don't disagree. Anything to deal with teacher, is it? Sorry, anything to deal with teacher, is it? Even deals with the devil. Uh, Scott, this is not a good sign. Uh, no, it I mean, is not. Narratively, it's not a good sign that these characters are saying they expect the Fallen to win. Um, and, of course, it's not a good sign for the characters in general. Everyone's yeah. screwed. Well, yeah, it's, 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 such, it's such the same kind of reasoning that got everyone into so much trouble last time. Yeah. It's, just like, it's just like when it comes to killing the thing we perceive as the greatest threat... Anything's on the table. Yeah. And it's it's like, no, did you not remember when that blew up in your face? Yeah. But but it's okay, Scott, because she's not susceptible to the conflict drive. Oh, okay. Well, we're fine then. We're fine. Yeah. This new cauldron is great. Yeah. (laughs) Citralgen is perfect. Yeah. This isn't going to turn out tragically. No, not at all. No. All right. Not at all. That's it, though. That's the end. That's the end of that chapter. So we got some name game. I want to talk about Gene Wynn because while it is a human name, it is a name that that either she chose or perhaps Accord chose for her. Someone in the the Discord actually suggested that 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 was possibly it. Um, No, I like that. I uh, like that. That, that, This spelling doesn't make any sense. Add an N and an E on it. It's much more neat. Yeah, or like he wanted it to be more like 
like classy, so he changed the spelling of Jean and 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 also Win. I like Win because like her name was Jean Brown before, and and Brown is is you know it's a fine it's a fine surname. All of you mm-hmm. out there named Brown, but Win Win has connotations. Yeah. Of success, which is what this character wants to be. So whether or not she chose it, I think it's well, meaningful. Is Wynn Kurt's last name? Did she take his name when they got married? I have no idea. I don't, The thing that I, um, I struggle with is like she added another N to Jean, and there's two N's in Wynn. So I could see a chord being like, one too, name has... Too many N's. You need to match your ends. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. We need need four ends. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, I feel like we're we're stretching a, a little hole. bit here. We're yeah, going down yeah. the the egg the egg hole. Yeah. Um. I I don't. So the name Mortari has actually come up a few times, and other than the fact that it has the word mortar in it, which is like a building material, and they're a construction company. I couldn't think of anything really smart to say, so that just wanted to drop that in there. Yeah. Okay. And then, last but not least, there's not, Barf Bat. Not least. <laughs> Sometimes names aren't complicated, guys. He he looks like a bat, and he he throws stuff up. <laughs> yep. Yep. The end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, discussion question for this week. All right. Compare and contrast Cauldron under Dr. Mother with the remnants of Cauldron under Numberine. I, your relationship names are on point, Matt. Thank you. That's why I'm here. <laughs> really? That's it? That's it. That's why I'm... Yes. And that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. Remember that you guys are all a part of this now, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. We probably need to change that. That sounds like like it's new. That was what it said the first time we switched to covering it live. He's got to stop rolling the scripts forward, Matt. Yeah, you're right. I'll, ch- I'll change that next week. <laughs> uh, you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod, where I still do my live reads of the chapters, though usually uh, very late <laughs> these days, especially but, the ones that take place over the weekend. Well, I look forward to those. It- if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts are served. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, and film and TV criticism and more at DailyPlanetFilms.com. This week, the Daily Planet podcast reviews Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. We had Matt uh, and Daniel on to do that one. It was a good, good conversation. It was. It was really good. It was surprisingly good. Just like, yeah. just like Ready Player One. Yeah. Well, let's not, let's not go that far. Uh, also, uh, Vow to View is uh, is also doing a Spielberg thing this week because uh, we're looking at two of our favorite Spielberg movies. Uh, I want to plug this podcast again, real quick here, Matt, because. I love making that show so much. It's the the weekly show I do with my wife in which we each pick a movie and make each other watch it. Um, it's so much fun. It's ridiculous. She is the star of the show, and I'm just there to shake my head confusingly at her. Um, it's so much fun. It's you should, you, should, you should try it out, everyone, if you haven't listened to that. Try it out. I think you'll have a good time. Yes, and I would just like to point out that I, your podcasting partner, who theoretically should know everything about 
what we're doing was confused at the fact that I hadn't been getting value view updates on my Daily Planet podcast feed, and then remembered that value view has its own podcast feed now, which I, am, I then went and signed up for and caught up. I'm, I'm so I'm so disappointed. Yes, so, as you so, should be. I'm as hurt. You should be. I'm hurt. So Valdez View has its own podcast feed, everyone. It does. So subscribe. Go subscribe to it separately. And if you like any of these shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash dailyplanetfilms. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses, like voting for the fan art contest, which people are doing right now, yep. uh, access to live streams, such as the one that we're streaming right now, and our excellent Discord chat, which continues to be better than we could have ever hoped. And now special thanks to new patrons at the Planeteer level, Unique underscore username and Molly, both at the $1 level. And as always, while you're on that Patreon page, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon page and donate to him as well, because this is his world and we're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by... Uh, shadily manipulating political races to ensure that we've got Ward become supreme ruler of planet Earth. Or you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Be like 00101 who gives us five stars and says <sighs> Okay, actually don't be like 00101 who says My name is Scott Daly and I love anime and shipping. I just typed that so Scott would have to say it. Good podcast, though. Thank you, I guess. I hate you. But you gave us five stars, so thanks. And I really appreciate this because now people can use that audio clip for whatever they want to use it for. That's why I said it in a sarcastic manner, Matt, so you can't do that. That's okay. We'll just use one of those de-sarcastic-ifying. Here, no, I'll give, you, I'll give you a straight take. I'll, I'll give you this okay. one time. Okay. My name is Scott Daly, and I love anime and shipping. Thank you. Thank you. That was worth five stars. <laughs> All right. That's it for the show this week. Next week, it looks like Arc 5 is finally going to wrap up. So we're going to have to find a way to solve that problem where there's two different arcs worth of content in the same week. Yeah. Um, how are we, how we going to do that? Uh, f- find out next week on another exciting episode of Week Vet Ward. Hashtag Wigmouth.